You're listening to the Mind Made Wrong podcast, presented by Steel Maggie, episode number 47. Hi, my beautiful creators. My name is Steel Maggie, and you are listening to and watching Mind Made Wrong. Today, I have a wonderful, divine, just perfect guest for this podcast, and her name is Hope Litwin. Introduce yourself. Give us a wave, a digital wave. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist, cross your chest and blow a kiss. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. You, yeah. I'm, I'm going to copy that. I'm going to watch yeah. this later. And I'm going to be like, yeah. what was that? <laughs> Some choreography. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Tell us all about yourself. Tell us your origin story. Actually, lies. I'm so sorry. Tell us where we can find you first on social media, um, your website. Where are you? Where can we find you and all that you do? Everything is my name, so H-O-P-E, Hope Litwin, L-I-T-T-W-I-N, and then that's the handle for everything. So Instagram.com slash Hope Litwin, YouTube.com slash Hope Litwin, um, on Apple Music and Spotify and all those, Amazon Music, and my website, HopeLitwin.com. Very consistent. And yeah. also it's double T's, right? Mm-hmm. Double T. Okay. Yeah. Imported for everyone. Hope yes. Litwin. Two T's. All right. Let's get into your origin story and everything that you're of. About how did you become a musician? You are a traveler, so please tell us all <laughs> about what you're doing. <laughs> oh man, that was like 50 questions all in one. It was. So I'm just gonna yes. just give us your essence. Yes, yeah, essence. That's cute. Let's see. I'm a songwriter and a composer. I play guitar, piano. I was trained as a classical singer. I was also trained in music production and electronic music. So I like to, I like to do what I want, (laughs) Um, which comes with a lot of responsibility because when you want to do what you want, then you also have to foot the bill and, (laughs) and write your own script and, you know, pave your own way, which I think fits my personality. So that's good, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily a straight line all the time. Right now I'm traveling. I went on a West coast tour uh, with my own songwriting, and then I did a residency as a composer at Banff Art Center in Banff, Canada, where I was writing for Pro Choral Canada. Um, that was amazing. And then I came to Miami about a week and a half ago to collaborate with uh, one of my favorite collaborators, Marissa Almanick from Alma Dance Company. We've done four ballets together, I think, at this point. She has her own dance company, and I write music for her shows. Um, but when I got here, she had to have a surgery before I got here. So it was kind of an unexpected turn. Mm -hmm. So we're not making work actually at the moment. We're having a lot of conversations about art and what's next. And, you know, anytime you have something that flips your life upside down, like a surgery, if you're a dancer, you know, whatever it is, you start asking yourself very different questions like, okay, well, who am I if I can't walk? What am I, you know, like there's... Uh, processing happening and I feel like I can't do my art right yeah Yeah. it's scary 
But I think it's a very valuable question because then it's asking, well, who am I? What am I offering? At the end of the day, what is the message that I want to give? And how am I doing that? And, you know, kind of like back to basics. Uh, and I've been doing the same thing with myself because I went on this tour kind of not knowing exactly when it was going to end, but knowing that it's was the thing right in front of me to do that made the most sense. And uh, all my stuff is in a storage unit in Newark, New Jersey, thinking that I would go back to New York City, but I'm not sure that that's what's going to happen now. I might, like I was telling you earlier, end up in Los Angeles starting in August because I'm going to be, after this Miami stint, I'm going to be in Chicago for a couple months working on my next record and uh, building up more of like the admin side of my own business because I think what happened was I very much came from like the high art world. Uh, often people who are trained in conservatory are kind of trained into this mind frame of like, you have to uh, apply to all of these grants and then hope to get grant money. And grants are looking often for very specific things, often with like social justice bents or things like that. So people often kind of shift their work to fit the grant or the panel to then get the at the accolade of like, oh, you're worthy of blah, blah, blah. And then you get the grant, which often is like really peanuts. Um, <laughs> and then you have to keep going begging for more. So it's like this terrible, vicious cycle that I was kind of wrapped up in until pretty recently. And you and I have the same coach. So I've been working with Katie to reframe my mind on that. Cause I'm like, okay, I know what I want to make and I don't need anyone's approval to make that, but I do have to fund the thing and find a way to make it sustainable so that I can basically be independently funded of my own to do the work I know I want to happen. I know I'm capable of doing. I know the work I want to fund. I don't need to beg anybody for their, uh, oh yes, Pulitzer, you're worthy or whatever. Like I, I know what I want to make happen. I know that I'm good at it. I just got to fund it. So, so that's the, the admin side of things that I'm trying to develop, which is much more like a business plan to make that sustainable. To make my lifestyle sustainable. <laughs> Not lifestyles of the rich and famous, just lifestyles of the people who want to be creative, I guess. And, yeah, and like enjoy and like do the work that I want to see in the world with the people who I know will do it the best and who I get along with. I really think art is much more about dialogue than anything else. It's like having a conversation it's either with the people you're collaborating with or with the audience or you know all of the above with the people who came before you like continuing the conversation of your favorite artists and so to me the dialogue is very important i don't create in a vacuum i don't make just for myself i have some things that i do like that like journaling or whatever i don't care that anyone sees it it's just like a process for me but ultimately if i'm putting a year of my life and all of my resources into writing an opera or something like that I'm, I want to have a conversation. That's why I'm doing it. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm, I'm listening. I just, this is, this is all of it. This is, this is just the interview. We could just sign off now. And it's perfect. <laughs> I love Check. it. Check. Check. Done. Um, but I do want to know more. I want to hear about um, your significant struggles growing up when it came to um, your mental health and how that has played into your career now. Because I know in our preliminary call, we were talking about a feeling of 
you needing a feeling of safety. And it's very interesting that your, your pattern right now and what you're doing right now is you do need that feeling of safety because you're doing so many of these crazy things that are, you know, basically not safe, you know, especially in this environment, like you're traveling and, you know, in, in a, an emotional way and in a financial way, like you're kind of leaping and, you know, having the net appear. Right. And I know you did say that. So yeah. tell me about some of those experiences in childhood where you started to have those formative experiences of what your mental health was like. It's such a big question. I ask uh, big questions. <laughs> yeah. I'm like trying to organize it in my head. Um, it's okay. Just talk to us. It's a conversation. Right. Fair. True, true. I think as far as the lifestyle that I have now, I was thinking while you were talking, it's kind of two things. Like in some ways, I think the only way out is through. So I feel like if I, just my personality is if I notice something is scary, I'll like rush toward it. <laughs> and I don't know that that's like in my mind, I was like, is that self-sabotage or is that like actually healthy behavior I'm not sure yeah like <laughs> maybe you know, a little bit of both <laughs> maybe a little bit of both yeah like create into the circumstance that is the most terrifying for you over and over again in some ways like why do that to yourself but in another way I'm like but how else are you gonna well, master it yeah. yeah how else are you gonna you're just gonna be like a slave to it the rest of your life so that's a really de delicate and tricky balance I think for mental health stuff is I think you're always facing it in a way like you can't not face it it's just your decision to either be open and vulnerable to it and like or you're just being controlled by it because you keep avoiding it but you're never not dealing with it. it's like not an option to not deal with it because it'll creep up on you anyway if you're just like oh I'm gonna ignore it it's like I mean it's there like <laughs> it's not going anywhere so that is a way of dealing with it that's just maybe not the most productive way of dealing with it I don't know absolutely avoidance um, is killer that avoidance is the huge pattern in my life I think I'm like opposite to you where it's like I just mm -hmm. avoid and then mm -hmm. hope it goes away or hope I get better and like it's like this is your problem <laughs> oh interesting yeah, I always thought that there was a curse and like kind of not being able to avoid stuff because it's the opposite end where it's like, I can't let things go where I'm like, no, that's still not right. No, I have to, it's like a laser focus, which can cause a lot of disruption too. I have a lot of history of mental illness in my family. I know we discussed that, like schizophrenia and like depressive moods and kind of like being overcome by kind of debilitating emotions and the more I talk to people the more I'm like I don't think that that's that uncommon but it was kind of extreme cases in my family and it's been on my radar for a very long time. You are talking about um, patterns in the family and um, mm -hmm. you were telling me about how your family does does struggle with, has always struggled with um, a mental health disorders, but they've always been artistic. And- um, oh, Not all of them actually. Okay. Um, and healing, healing. Oh yeah, was one that of your for big, sure. Your big themes. Yeah, my, so my mom's mom was a medical doctor and her mom was a medical doctor, all in the healing arts. Uh, and my mom is a yoga teacher and you know interested in that realm of things. So my great grandmother was a general surgeon actually who went to China when she was in her mid twenties and practiced Western medicine there. 
and then they came back during the war and my grandmother went to medical school and became a medical doctor in the uh, emergency room for many years. My mom went to medical school but then dropped out and joined the Moonies, which is where my parents were match married. And oh yeah, it's, it's very deep and crazy. Um, and part of the Moonies is you give up your possessions you live in communal housing, you do menial work to raise money for the church. Uh, you do a lot of like spiritual fasting. It's a religious cult, but people hate that word cult. You know, everyone's afraid of it, but I, I feel like I have cult lenses. <laughs> I have cult lenses where I see it everywhere. Even when people are lined up around the Apple store, you know, I'm just like, cult. cult. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have a super negative association with it. It's just like, to me, it, I just call it what I see it, but, um, but yeah, that's, you know, like two, my parents are two very idealistic people who came from pretty well off families, but kind of knew from the inside that things weren't right and that's not all there is. And so I think we're looking for other ways of healing or other ways of evolving. Mm. And I think that was their way to try to to find it, which feels kind of like a desperate step, you know, to like, well, I'll just give up everything, plunge into this and spend the next 10 years of my life completely devoted to this thing to try and figure it out. But I guess the way I see it, I'm like, well, how else are you going to really make change? I mean, they're not in it anymore. I see a lot of that kind of in my own personality too, where I'm like, whatever it takes to find the truth, I'm going to go balls to the wall because I want to know the truth. <laughs> Um, and in your career, you know, you, you just, mm -hmm. you do go balls to the wall. Like you just went up and did this thing, you know, you mm -hmm. took this tour and then you're like, I'm going to do this, this residency and I'm just going to see in the mountains in Canada. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see where it, you're yeah. going to see where it takes you. Um, and that is a healing, you know, in itself. You said that every, you know, generation there's been, um, Healers, there's, there's, yeah. yeah, there's been healers, but there's been this pattern of healers. I want to hear about your, uh, when it came to you figuring out, you know, your struggle with mental health, how did you go about the process of healing? Man, I remember sitting in like the self-help section of the bookstore when I was like 12 and just reading books. Like, mm -hmm. it's so weird to think about. Like if I saw a 12 year old in a self-help section reading books, I would be very concerned for them. <laughs> but that's like, I haven't thought about that in a while, but that was back when Borders was a thing. You could just go hang out there all day. And I did. that's literally what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think I was like desperate to understand because it kind of felt like I had all of these really overpowering emotions and I didn't understand where that came from or why other people didn't kind of have the same issues if they didn't because it didn't seem like from the outside that people were struggling in the same way so I was trying to understand like why are these emotions so powerful and so like all-consuming and how do I kind of get some objectivity or some tools to help me kind of manage this so it doesn't control my entire life? And that was very early that I recognized that kind of like compulsive, it's not like compulsive behavior. It's like, it's from the inside. So it's not like I'm uh, an OCD or something. It's like a different compulsivity a that has to do. 
it, it's and like it a, has this little do, like burning yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. really uncomfortable. It's yeah. like super uncomfortable. And in some ways the arts helped me a lot because I was able to navigate through difficult things with art as a tool to kind of help me shape like what what am I trying to say? What's my experience? How do I express that? But ultimately that wasn't enough. Like that was a useful tool and definitely part of my identity. A big part of my identity is artist, creative, musician, all of that stuff. But that's not an end to itself. It's like a way that helps me more clearly express bigger and more complex things that I'm going through. So it's like a tool to reach the end of exploration of like exploration of self, exploration of environment that I'm in. And that's what's interesting to me about the arts. So I guess there's always been just like a ton of research that I've done and a ton of reading, a ton of like interview listening or like seminar listening and um, a lot of work with therapy and workbooks and stuff like I did quite a few CBT workbooks cognitive behavioral therapy which is super useful for those things also DBT dialectical behavioral therapy but really it's it continues like I almost feel like when you master one level then you it's like the next big boss in a video game or something like that it's like exactly. you, you have to face more and more challenging or complex aspects so it's like you gain the right to uh or you gain the ability to then have the next i don't want to call it a battle because that kind of frames it incorrectly mm -hmm. but there is this uh i think it takes a lot of courage to like face yourself mm -hmm. and it and it's that it's like a different layer of facing self but i, I think it just like keeps going i didn't think it was just going to keep going but I'm here now and I can't believe everything I've been through and it's still going. So I'm just like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you would say, I remember you telling me that you did not let anyone or anything diagnose you. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Because I want to get into the mind made wrong aspect. You, mm -hmm. you knew that there was something different about you, but I want to know if it was more on the, on the ends of you didn't want anyone telling you that something was wrong with you or you just didn't want something to define you. I feel like I'm pretty good at facing myself and really seeking out, like, I'm noticing this is a bad behavior. I'm going to do everything in my power to write this. But I feel like there's a lot of um, co copping out in our culture of like, I, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar, therefore I'm just this way. That's just how I am. And maybe some people seek a lot of comfort and being like, oh, that makes sense. Like now I can begin my healing journey now that I understand, have like a view from which to see what's happening. But I don't, that scares me a little bit for myself because I don't want that. And I also don't put a lot of my faith into, I don't know, it kind of feels like what we know so far about psychology or something. But I'm not interested kind of in what we know so far as the end. I'm interested in like, I really think that I can break through anything in this life if I figure out the right 
people to have around me, the right philosophy to have about who I am and how to heal and what I can be. And I don't want to be putting limits on myself. And so I feel like it's a dangerous territory when you start naming things because maybe in some ways they can help direct the, the flow of your progression. And obviously it's so, there's so many different uh, categories. Like it's not black and white. There's, I just, yeah, I don't want to say like you either do uh, let yourself get diagnosed or you don't or something like that. Like I know that there's lots of gray area, but I think for myself, I was really worried that like I would allow someone else's opinion, which could completely be misled Mm -hmm. to then define how I view myself. I want to be the person who defines how I view myself and I'm willing to put in the work and I'm willing to do the research and I'm willing to have all of the therapists and I'm willing to like do all of the CBT workbooks and I'm willing to face myself on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be kind of at someone else's door being like, but what's wrong with me? But what's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like that puts the power in someone else's hands. So I don't know. It's a delicate subject because right now we're in a weird place where a lot of people are like way on one side of the fence or the other. They either like completely mistrust science and they're like in woo-woo world or (laughs) they like look at anything woo-woo as like stupid, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. what kind of fool thinks that there's anything beyond what our methods can show. Yeah. And I really don't identify with either side. Uh, I guess for me, I just really want to know for myself that at the end of the day, I came to, I gathered as much information as humanly possible, did all of the work, and then came to my own conclusion so that I know how to fix things in my own way that works best for me if I have like some kind of an episode or get completely out of control or like, feel just so crazily overwhelmed that I don't even know how to handle the moment that I have my own tools that I can be like, okay, I've been here before. (laughs) Here's my list of things that I do to bring myself back. And maybe one of which is calling somebody who is a professional who can help me, but I kind of know when that's the option that I want and when that's not the option that I want. So yeah, I don't know. For me, it has a lot more to do with personal power and like, I'm going to say who I am. You're not going to tell me who I am. (laughs) It's very intuitive. I love it. I I mean, it's interesting because when I received my diagnosis of bipolar type two, like she was very, the therapist was very like, you know, hesitant, you know, to be like, I don't want to say because it's you know it's um it can be she had the kind of a similar um philosophy whereas she's like there is a there is a puzzle here and Mm -hmm. there are certain pieces that keep fitting together and the more you speak the more these other pieces start to fit into um this this particular, it's an umbrella, you know, this kind of, you have some kind of mood thing going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And they, they do point to, you know, what we like to call bipolar type two. And um, then I went to the psychiatrist and and he obviously wanted to give me meds. Um, So that was another story. But I felt when she said 
that, like initially things were explained, you know, it's not that I felt like, oh, I have, I have a cop Mm -hmm. out, but it's like, oh, this is why I don't shower for days on end sometimes, (laughs) you know, like all like the things that were not previously explained. I just kind of thought, you know, so I, I, I'm really interested in your approach and um, I want to know because I think that's super valuable by the way, what you said, because I also have friends, I have quite a few friends with bipolar and uh, some of them have found so much solace and assistance in the, in the same thing, kind of having someone explain the diagnosis and then taking medication and making their way through that, that was their process. And I've seen that very useful to people. So I don't wanna like plug my way as like the way. It's just my own way.